Hello, world. Yes, world. Indeed. We have other listeners besides Americans, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing against Americans, it's just... We're not doing great. No, America's not doing that great. The last few days have been good, but fuck. These last four years, (laughs) these last few months, these last year... It's been a little rough, but it doesn't we're make looking, me very proud sometimes. We're looking up now. Yeah, definitely. It's good shit. Mm-hmm. Um, how? Hello, welcome to Who Knew. Welcome. How How are you? How was your week? It was a rough week. Yeah. I have not been feeling the greatest this past week, so it's fine. Otherwise, if it makes you feel better, um, I just spilled a bunch of gin on myself, so. It does make me feel better. Are you? Do you want to go clean that up? Nope. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're going to roll with it because gin is a clear alcohol, so it won't do anything to my shirt. True. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, How has your week been? Uh, It was good. I felt better than you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was good. It was busy work and uh, yeah. took our dog to the vet today, which went better than expected. So yeah. that was good. It went very well. Yeah, she's scared. She's scared of everything. So we were really panicked about, like, the whole curbside thing where we don't get to go in with her. Oh, yeah. And she did great. Yeah. Speaking of the devil. I forgot to take her collar. It's okay. <laughs> she if she comes in here, we'll be fine. But... Yeah. So, sorry if you hear a little jingle. We'll fix it. A little but jingle jingle from the little At the moment, done. we are preoccupied yeah. entertaining you. <laughs> um, Sammy's got her pickles. I've got my gin. And uh, I'm going first this week. Yep. You ready? Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the Radium Girls before? I had never heard of them until you started telling me about them. So, coincidentally, and I swear to God, not related, um, a new movie came out about them on Netflix, and we're going to watch it tonight, maybe. Mm-hmm. Does that sound fun? Mm-hmm. Okay. Called the Radium Girls. And I'm really excited because I first heard about this years ago. On a podcast I sometimes listen to now, um, occasionally, and I re-listen to it for this, called uh, Stuff You Missed in History. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Um, but they do a really good story on this, and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it. And then for this, I actually read a book or you listened to a book at work, which is the same. It counts. Yeah, it does count because you're still taking in that information. And I am thrilled and equally appalled at what happened in this event. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. The book was so, so good. And it's one of the only ones on this. Um, really? Yes. Interesting. Yep. It was the first citation in Wikipedia was this book. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and awesome. the rest are pretty much just articles. So it was just so good. Um, it's called The Radium Girls by Kate Moore. She does a fucking phenomenal job um, just telling these girls' story. And I'm going to go through like a summary of that portion mm-hmm. um, because she just goes through uh, every other source I read, talks about the girls as like a group, like lumps them all in together. She talks about each individual like person's struggle and it is horrific and so well done and just highlighted the injustices that the fucking male dominated <laughs> and like profit dominated workforce did to them yeah. so are you ready i am so ready you need a pickle first i am going to munch on a pickle good for you okay you. so our story starts 
with the U.S. Radium Corporation. Um, so from 1917 to 1926, the U.S. Radium Corporation. I don't know if I said it. I talk, I'm talking about the Radium Girls. Did you, I say that? You talked about okay. the book title. I don't know if you mentioned that. That's who you're I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Radium Girls. Um, so from 1917 to 1926, U.S. Radium Corporation, originally called the Radium Luminous Material Corporation, was basically... Uh, engaged in like extracting and purifying radium from um this kind of ore called uh carnitite which produced a luminous paint so okay. like glow in the dark paint and it was like the first ever yeah of its kind right yeah um and these were marketed under the brand name undark so they didn't have like the name glow in the dark at the time like they literally called it like the color was called Undark. That's so weird. It's That's really cool. confusing. <laughs> I'm like, what is Undark? The or Let's get really philosophical here. It, but it makes sense, right? It's yeah. kind of like eerie. Um, <laughs> the ore was mined in Paradox Valley here in Colorado, hmm. and then um, there were some Colorado. other. They called them Undark mines. Wait, know, when they Valley. were mining, was it, like, glowing the whole time? I guess. I don't know. That would be such a cool thing, to, like, walk All into this dark cave. All of those miners fucked. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they're dead. But <laughs> wouldn't that have been fun to just, like, walk into this mine and, like, not glows. need your lights? And yeah. it just, like, is glowing it's on its wild. own. That'd be pretty yeah. cool. Um, there were some more mines just like that in Utah. So, like, Colorado and Utah are very similar. So I imagine gotcha. the Paradox Valley is in, like, western Colorado, kind okay. of where we're from. Yeah. Um, they were a defense contractor um, with U.S. Radium being like a major supplier of radioluminescent watches to the military. And then they also painted um, the controls and dials in different like ships and planes and things like that for mm. the military. They had a plant in Orange, New Jersey. And they employed over 100 workers, which were mostly women, to paint radium-lit watch faces and instruments, telling them that it was safe. <clears throat> yeah. And not only that, like, it, like, it wasn't just this paint that was a big deal back then. Like, radium itself was being marketed as, like, a health product, I guess. Yeah. So they were putting it in, like, foods. They were putting it in drinks. They would have, like, water that they... Would put all this radium in. Did and... you say milk or something? Or am I thinking of just water? Water. Okay. Um, one man, I don't have all of his, like, info right in front of me, but uh, he was totally on board with the ra on the radium train. And he drank, that's, like, all he drank. And he 100% died of radium poisoning. So, this was not the only case of this happening. So... Ugh. Let me tell you what happens when you get exposed to radium. Can't wait. Okay. So, the U.S. Radium Corporation hired approximately 70 women to perform various tasks, which included handling radium, obviously. Uh, while the owners and the scientists that were actually familiar with radium carefully avoided any exposure themselves. So, oh. you would go back to the scientists and they would have lead blankets on, just like you get when you have a an x-ray. Um, no. They were wearing gloves. They would handle it with tongs. That's like shit like that. bullshit. Yep. Chemists at the plant, uh, like I said, used lead screens, masks, and tongs, and U.S. Radium had distributed literature to the medical community describing the, quote, injurious effects of radium. In spite of knowing all of this and 
like having documentation of this. Um, oh my god. <laughs> um, a number of similar deaths had occurred by 1925, including the company's chief chemist um, and several female workers. The similar circumstances of their deaths prompted investigations to be undertaken by Dr. Harrison Martland, who was like a county physician in Newark. So like people in this company were dying. They're all dying a similar way. Um, the company was like denying it. Yeah. Even though they obviously knew because they were protecting some employees, not protecting others. Right. Um, an estimated 4,000 workers were hired by corporations in the U.S. and Canada to paint watch faces with radium because it made them glow in the dark. Yeah. Um, at USRC, which is U.S. Radium Corpora- Corporation, uh, each of the painters mixed her own paint in a small crucible. So they would mix their own. They would have, like, a certain amount they could use each day and mix it up. And they used camel hair brushes to put on, to paint on the glowing, uh, dial numbers basically and they were paid uh per dial so the more they did the more they got paid um about a penny and a half per dial which is equivalent to 30 cents per dial now oh my god i would have imagined it would have been more than that but that's still super shitty yeah the brushes as all paint brushes do they would lose their shape as Mm -hmm. you're painting with them so like it would decrease the quality and the the accuracy in the numbers um so the u.s radium sur- supervisors encouraged their workers to point the brushes with their lips oh my god no so they would take the brush after they had painted and it got a little bit deformed and they would uh they called it lipping it so they would lip it put it in their mouth and repoint that brush they would dip it into the paint and then paint the number lip dip paint and each person had their own, like, way of doing it. So a few would go, you know, a few numbers, and then they'd lip it, and then they'd go a few more numbers, and then others would literally, after each number, put it in their mouths. Here's the thing. I wouldn't do that when I was just normally painting things, because it's paint on my paintbrush, no matter, like, how disformed it is. Yeah. So they... Would they, like, wipe it off? Eventually, they would... They, they were given, like, uh like water. cups of water yeah. to kind of like swish it around in but ra- radium was in the water radium was in the paint radium was in the brushes at this point so yeah. it did not really matter but at the same time these girls were still because they believed that radium was healthy mm-hmm. like literally had health benefits um, they painted their nails they painted their teeth um, and they would paint their faces they would paint their dresses their corsets Name a thing they probably painted it because they, the the job was looked at um, at the time as one of the best paying, most like prestigious jobs for especially for women, um, and so like if they went out after work and they were glowing, people around them would be like, oh my gosh, that's one of those radium girls. Like, ooh, she's got a good job because oh. it was in the twenties. I hate this. <laughs> so, um. Many of the workers became sick, as we know, and it's unknown how many died from exposure to radiation. There's a few very uh, well-documented ones that I'm going to talk about at the end um, by name, but those were the ones that kind of made a difference in the litigation. Okay. So, radiation sickness. Here's kind of what happened. So many of the women who worked in the uh, dial painting industry began to suffer from anemia, Okay. Uh, which is a lack of iron in the blood. Yeah. yeah. Bone fractures and necrosis of the jaw. 
um, a condition known now known as radium jaw. It's thought that the x-ray machines used by medical investigators might have contributed to some of the sickened workers' ill health because they were not as regulated as they are now. Oh um, they would subject them to additional radiation, so that didn't help at that point. It turned out at least one of the examinations was fake um, because these women were like, this has to be job-related, and um, the company provided their own doctors to provide the examinations because they were like we'll cover it like workman's comp basically Mm -hmm. um and it was fake it was a part of a disinformation campaign that was started by the defense contractor oh so u.s radium and other watchdog companies rejected claims that the afflicted workers were suffering from exposure to radium because it did not happen immediately like this would happen after they'd not been working there for a couple years or you know and that was a problem when it came to, like, the statute of limitations and workman's comp at that time. And then they were also denying that radium could have even been the cause in the first place. Okay. Uh, for some time, doctors, dentists, and researchers complied with requests from the companies not to release their data. So it was completely um, not public forum. It was not being released to other doctors or other uh, researchers, which was unfortunate. And then at the urging of the companies... Workers' deaths were attributed by medical profession- professionals to other causes, such as syphilis, which was a notorious sexually transmitted infection at the time, uh, which was often cited in attempts to smear the reputations of these women. So they would tell them, no, I think you have syph, and they wouldn't talk about it anymore because they were embarrassed. Yeah. So dying of a work-related injury... And not getting any help because they're being told it's an STD and that's embarrassing. Yeah, right. So, the inventor of radium dial paint, Dr. Sabin A. Von Fuck me. I read this so many times. What do you read that? Where is it? It's in the... Oh, Dr. Sabin A. Von Sikaki. Right? Sikaki. Is it Sachaki? I think it's Sakaki. Saka- I don't think it is. I think it is. I would have remembered that. Okay, Sachaki it is then. I'm going to mess this up and I'm going to listen to that book again and then realize it's going to be Sakaki. Um, the inventor of radium dial paint, Dr. Sabin A. Von Sachaki, died in November of 1928. And he was the 16th known victim of poisoning by radium dial paint. He got sick from radium in his hands because he would like carry it around in bare hands not in the jaw because he wasn't sitting there licking uh paintbrushes but the circumstances of his death helped the radium girls in court because he was in a different part of it yeah part of the operation and probably because he was a man if we're gonna be honest oh yeah i forgot about that part yeah um so the radium dial company which is separate was established in ottawa illinois in 1922 and it was located in the town's former high school and just like the united states radium corporation the purpose of the studio in ottawa was to paint dials for clocks which was their um their largest client was west clocks corporation in peru illinois same thing radium dial hired young women to paint the dials using the same lip dip and paint approach as the women in New Jersey when they were training them to do the job. And um, the radium dial company 
had a the president of the company was Joseph Kelly, and he ended up getting terminated, so he established a competing firm in the same town called the Luminous Process Company. So there were these two companies that were competing, all doing dial painting, um, and employed women in the same exact fashion and trained them in the same exact way. Um, and then from 1926 to 27, employees at Radium Dial began showing signs of radium poisoning, and were unaware of the hearings and trials that were happening in New Jersey. Yeah. So they had no idea that it was related at all. And then radium dial leadership ended up authorizing physicals and other tests designed to determine the toxicity of radium paint to its employees. But the company never gave those records to employees or told them of the results. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they tried to kind of like fix it by... Ending the use of camel hair brushes and then introducing glass pins with a fine point, but the workers were like, nah, this shit does not work. They were paid per dial, and their production was going down because they were using these glass pins, which weren't as fast. Um, so they ended up reverting back to using brushes. And then finally, they found out that all the women in New Jersey were having the same issues they were and were, like, filing suits, and um, so the women... At this company, we're told, again, that radium was safe and that the employees in New Jersey were showing signs of viral infections, and they were insured, assured by their employers that the radium was safe, and they just kept working. Oh my god, no. Yeah. I would have quit. Uh, yeah. But, it's a <laughs> but then I would have died. It's so. job. That's the thing. Ugh. So, in New Jersey, the story of, basically, abuse that was happening between employees and employers... Um, was distinguished from most such cases that, um, like, the litigation and the court cases were really widely covered by the media. Yeah. Um, a worker named Grace Fryer, who I'll talk about a little bit later, decided to sue, but it took two years for her to even find a lawyer that was willing to take on the company. So that's two, two years lost. Two years? Yes. Um, and then she kind of teamed up with a couple of the other women during that time, and eventually they found a lawyer, um, but the litigation process is so slow, and even today it's slow, but back then it was even slower. Their first court appearance was in 1928. Um, two women were bedridden. None of them could raise their arms to take an oath. A total of five factory workers, including Grace Fryer, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schwab, and uh, Quinta McDonald and Albina Larice, who were sisters, were dubbed the official five radium girls. Yeah. They were all part of this suit, and the litigation and the media sensation surrounding the case established legal precedents and triggered the enactment of the regulations governing labor safety standards and yeah. OSHA, OSHA, which is pretty cool. So then in Illinois, employees began seeing this, and they're like, hey, what the fuck? <laughs> like, we need some compensation, too, because yeah. we're doing the same shit and we're all getting sick, too. We have massive medical dental bills, um, and they started bringing these concerns up as early as 1927, but they were refused by management. Um, the demand for money by sick and dying formal, former employees continued into the mid-30s before a suit before the Illinois Industrial Commission was brought. In 1937, so this is legit like 10 years after the first suits were like one. Cringe. Uh, five women found an attorney by the name of Leonard Grossman. Who ended up representing him, um, but by this time Radium Dial had closed and moved to New York, which was a problem. 
They ended up retaining, uh, I don't care about that, hold on. So in the spring of 1938, the courts ruled in favor of the women, which is awesome. Yeah. Attorney representing the interests of Radium Dial appealed, hoping to get the verdict overturned. Um, and again, the commission judge found for the women, which is awesome. Again, Radium Dial appealed and appealed and appealed, took the case all the way to the Supreme Court, and then in 1939, the court decided not to hear the appeal. They said, fuck you, and decided the lower ruling was upheld, so they were done. So in the end, the case had been won eight times before Radium Dial was finally forced to pay, and most of the women were dead at that point. Are you kidding me? No. What the fuck? So, um... That's so fucked. Yeah. So I'm going to go into kind of the the personal stories and we'll kind of talk about, like, the historical impact of it, which there are a lot. So, question. Go ahead. I don't... So what happens when something like that happens? Like, the person who originally had the suit has died, but they keep appealing so they don't have to pay the money. Does their family then get the money? I think you have to set that up. If you're in litigation at that point and you're pretty, these women were pretty sure, like, they were going to die. They didn't think they would ever see the money, so they had it set up to go to their families and okay. whoever they wanted. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the book that I read because it was intense. Um... Kate Moore talked about the discovery of radium, its dangerous effects over the body. Um, And then she starts with the story of Catherine Schwab, who I mentioned before. She was just a teenager when she was hired at Radium Luminous Materials Corporation in Newark, New Jersey. She and many other young girls from immigrant families had been recruited to paint the dials of watches with radium paint, like we talked about. Um... And then they got positions secure for their sisters, too. They're like, hey, I got this really cush job. Let's come come oh, work no. here with me. Um, they were taught to lip point, a technique that required pointing of the tip of their brush with their mouths, which the company favored because it conserved paint. Oh, my gosh. The women, all of them, became really good friends. They enjoyed working together, um, and they felt like they were contributing efforts towards World War One at that time by supplying well-painted watch faces for soldiers. After the war, uh, many women exchanged their jobs for husbands and families of their own, but um, the developer of the paint that we talked about, Von Sachaki, was ousted from the company, and he was replaced by another guy who renamed it the United States Radium Corporation, like we said. Um, people who kept painting for the dial company however began experiencing physical pain uh molly magia was the first to show serious signs of radium poisoning when a rotten tooth was pulled to reveal a big old open sore that ended up literally never healing Mm -hmm. as time went on her dentist uh dr kneff had no idea what was going on he was like well this tooth is rotten let me pull it this tooth is rotten let me pull it Uh so he kept going and he couldn't get he can't force something to heal right so he continued to pull teeth but her jawbone only weakened until she ended up hemorrhaging (gasps) and was suffocated by her own blood ew no yeah meanwhile radium dial opened its doors in ottawa like we talked about and was again recruiting young poor female dial painters so two dentists doctors 
uh, Barry and Davidson in New Jersey were stumped by the various dial painters that kept coming into their office. They kept repeating the same mistakes, uh, attempting to, they thought that, um, it was phosphorus poisoning, which presents similarly. Uh Um, so they were treating it the same by pulling teeth, pulling teeth, pulling teeth. How would that treat poisoning, though, if they think that they're... I guess they think the phosphorus is in the teeth. It doesn't matter. The tooth is rotten. You can't keep it in there. So it's like, what? I don't know what choice you have, I guess. The news of Dow Painter's poor health was sweeping through the community, and the Industrial Hygiene Division visited the uh, Radium Company's plant per um, one, uh, one of the hospital's requests, basically. Paint sample was sent off, and despite um, one of the doctor's expert opinion that the radium was what was causing the problems, the company did absolutely nothing. Um, and then in Ottawa, the dial painters enjoyed their new prominence and financial status in society, not knowing what was to come. Yeah. Some doctors were unaware that the dial painters' employment could possibly be a factor because a lot of them were coming into the doctors after they had not worked there for a couple years. Yeah. More and more people were dying. The Department of Labor literally did nothing. Um, And one of the women that I mentioned before, Catherine, she requested that the Department of Labor literally look into the dial companies and they were like, nah, fuck you. Oh, well. Um, The whole book was literally like, this woman's dying, this woman dying, litigation. This woman dying, litigation. Like, it was crazy. So eventually... um, a report came out that we'll call um, the Drinker Report, and that was by a doctor named Dr. Cecil Drinker, who was from Harvard, and he was hired by um, USRC to investigate. And at the same time, the Bureau of Labor and Statistics launched another study, like a federal-level study of phosphorus in the paint, which they found there was no phosphorus in the paint because it was fucking radium. Yeah. Um, at the same time, another guy, uh, Agent, I'm going to say Swin Kajir, um, deemed the paint dangerous based off of his own research, um, but the Drinker report said that it was just all fucked. Like, it was all super biased, basically. Mm-hmm. And nothing fucking happened. <laughs> Which is so frustrating because all this research happened, all these reports came out, some of them said, like, yeah, that paint's fucked. Others said, no, that paint's not fucked. And the company went with the ones that were in their favor and they continued to hire women to paint these fucking dials and lick the fucking paint off. Um, Another radium girl, Marguerite Callow, she was super fucking sick. Um, her health was rapidly declining, and her case generated the sympathy of Frederick Hoffman and others who were willing to help. Um, a guy named Frederick Flynn was hired to conduct studies for USRC, and Dr. Harrison Matlin took the position of chief medical examiner, and he and others ended up performing the autopsy on Dr. Lehman, who was one of, uh, he was like a male the first male employee of USRC to die of radium poisoning. Um, and they they had no way of testing it. So they decided to test... They would, like, burn his bones to ash, and then they would test the radioactivity of the ash bones. Which was shitty, because then they have all these live girls, and they're like, we want to test you, but we can't take your bones out and burn them to ash. 
Oh my gosh. So, <laughs> so um, he takes on Marguerite's and her sister uh, Sarah's cases because they were super sick. Um, and he and Von Sachotki, God, I can't say that, invented a device to test radioactivity in human remains uh, with an electrometer. And they formally diagnosed the two with radium poisoning. And the chapter of the book where they talk about this is heartbreaking because the test took so long and they were so sick that it just, it was awful for them to go through the the testing for it. Yeah. So they formally diagnosed the two with radium poisoning. And then he later performed the official autopsy on Sarah's body. And she was the first dial painter to be analyzed post-mortem, which was super important. Um, and then Dr. Drinker discovered that Rotor would not, like, cooperate with his findings in the, like, he was pissed that this other doctor was coming up with different results saying that this was coming from radium poisoning. Yeah. Um, which was a problem. So then that came to the attention of the company. Thankfully, Catherine Quinta and Grace were given accurate diagnoses from Martland and Von Strachke... But when they searched for a lawyer to take legal action against the company, like we said, nobody was willing to help. It took years. Yeah. Um, more and more women were getting sick. Conflicting studies were published. This, like, independent study came out from the company that was fucked. Grace was adamant about seeking injustice, and male allies recommended her to a guy named Raymond Barry, who took her and the other girls on, like we talked about. Um, lo- another awesome thing, um... He ended up finding that Dr. Finn, who was another one of the doctors who was studying hired by the company, was uh, not only lying to the women by giving them false clean bills of health, but he was also lying about the fact that he was uh, not a qualified medical doctor in the first place. So they were hiring people, saying that they were doctors, giving (laughs) these women a clean bill of health, and then... How unhealthy are you that a girl that has... Teeth rotting out of her yeah. mouth. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So women started dying in Ottawa, Illinois, as the five former dial painters took their cases to court. Um, this prompted the exhumation and analysis of Molly's bones. We talked about Molly earlier. She was finally determined to be radioactive also. Um, the litigation was hostile. Um, the company's lawyers were uncooperative, and it was just a pain in the ass and eventually the women agreed to settle and they were supposed to receive their money before their deaths and in turn to get their money they would undergo studies by the appointed committee of doctors by the company no Mm-hmm. no so they were attempting to get results that would prove that the women were actually not radioactive and thus would be able to cease their medical payments for all the right. medical bills that they had inter- incurred um which was fucked that's so dumb and it it was weird like they would go to hotels and do this like to make it quote unbiased and it was just fucking weird um the law the news of the lawsuits reached ottawa like we talked about before um and soon a lady named peg looney got really sick and she died really shortly after she got sick which was honestly probably a good thing because some of these women lived decades with this and were miserable um 
She was detained by the company to conceal her true cause of death. Dr. Martland discovered in New Jersey after the similar deaths of Ella Eckert and Quinta that sarcomas were the final stage of radium poisoning and that any additional radioactivity in the human body was dangerous. So um, the companies were trying to fight to pay this workman's comp because they were like, you haven't lived, you haven't worked here in years. The statute of limitations is up. These doctors are like, no, they've still got radium in their bodies. It is continually harming them. And that is because of the company. So like statute of limitations can never be up because it is continually harming them. Yeah. Um, so fucked. Catherine was fired from Radium Dial for her poor health. She began showing symptoms, and so they fired her because they didn't want the other girls to find out. Oh my gosh. Um, as po- Poison Dial ba- painters continued to die in both states, wealthy and famous consumer Evan Byers also died of ra- radium poisoning. That's the guy I was talking about. Um, his death immediately prompted reform by many formerly reluctant institutions to protect consumers. He was the one who was drinking the radium water. Ew. Yep. Um, radium dial had been concealing radioactivity in dial, dial painters for over eight years and were especially reluctant to share any kind of information, but more women kept suffering. Um, several other women were ousted from radium dial as soon as they started showing any kind of symptoms of radium poisoning. The women kept begging and begging for help, participating in interviews and reaching out to lawyers and officials. Uh, Leonard Grossman finally agreed to take their cases, and Catherine broke down at their first uh, hearing from loss of hope for a cure, so she just cried uh, and cried and cried. Eventually, they held the next hearing at her house because she was so weak and sick. Um, They had interviews and fundraisers. They solicited the help of nationally known priests for moral support. Catherine ended up dying from the stress of a second appeal, but her death... Uh, was attributed to her occupation, thank goodness, and after seven appeals, the Supreme Court, like we said, named the company guilty. Um, Most of the women, I mean, some women ended up with tumors as big as grapefruits in different parts of their body. One woman died, and when they did her autopsy, her one leg was four centimeters shorter than the other. The radium basically acts like, you and I talked off recording about this, but, um, it your body takes it in the same way it takes calcium in so when you have when you get calcium in your body shoots it straight to the bones because that's where it's most helpful and it did the same with radium but then the radium would go in and because it's radioactive it would just chew these honeycombs into their bones and i mean these women had sores that would never heal in their mouths their mouths were constantly like pussing and like bleeding and their jaws were i mean one woman had her jaw removed they would take their teeth out and it would just get worse and worse and worse it like it affected not just that but like fertility a lot of them had a bunch of miscarriages um it affected their hips their legs one woman her her legs ended up permanently crossed like this I'm crossing my legs. At her ankles. It's just fucked. And most of them never saw the money before they died. That sucks. Here's the shitty part. (laughs) An even more shitty part. And this is the end of it. The good news is, um, when it comes down to it, like, 
the the research and the litigation that was done in this case, even though all these women suffered such horrible, horrible deaths, it led to OSHA. It led to research about, you know, radiation in general, which changed how um, scientists behaved and protected themselves um, during World War II when they were um, the designing the bomb. atomic bomb, the H-bomb. And it completely reformed workers' rights and compensation. So these are good things that happened. Um, unfortunately, this blows my mind, it was found that um, Luminous Processes, which was one of the companies I mentioned in the beginning that was founded by Kelly, continued to use radium in their work environments and was only shut down after countless women contracted breast cancer. Guess what year? 2010. No, well, now it sounds dumb. 1978. Oh, no, that doesn't sound dumb. <laughs> it does sound dumb. No, it doesn't. That's still, like, 50 years after. <laughs> that sucks. Um, I just knew it was going to be a high number, so I overshot. Yeah. So if you go... I mean, these women, even they're in their graves, are incredibly radioactive. You can go to their graves and put a Geiger counter over them, and you'll, you'll still get very high readings. They were finding that they were... Like, the amount of radioactivity that was emitting from them when they were alive was thousands of times more than the human body should succumb to. They they literally, some of them were so sick and so gaunt and, like, weak that you could literally see their bones glowing <laughs> through their sickly skin. Ew, ew, ew. Gross. And that... My love is the story of the Radium Girls. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. I'm not looking forward to watching the movie. It's got Joey King in it. She's only good at horror stuff. This is pretty horrific, so... No, I mean, I'm not saying it's horrific. I'm just saying it's not something that's, like... It's not like the act. Yeah, it's not a psychological thriller where someone gets killed. Well, fuck me. Someone does get <laughs> killed. Is. Maybe it is. I, I just don't, I don't know. It makes me upset because this isn't something that's fictional that I'm watching. This is something that really happened and people really suffered and people really died and it makes me very sad. It did. And, and there was, in that book, I totally recommend reading this book. It was phenomenally done. It was, ugh. But they, the cool thing and kind of the sad thing is like these, they were so sick, but they maintained so much poise and so much hope, and they realized they were going to die of this, and they were probably going to die before um, everything was settled. Yeah. But they knew that their fight for it, even though they knew they were going to die anyways, the fighting for it wasn't to cure them or make them feel better. Fighting for it was to get justice, justice, and to make sure that other no women one else died. Felt yeah, exactly. I think that's fucking awesome. Yeah, definitely a bigger picture kind of situation. Yeah. And I like that they looked at it that way. Um, I was talking about this a long time ago with Erica, one of my coworkers, uh, especially when we talk about 911. And I feel like in general, it doesn't, like, things don't get seriously changed unless it impacts somebody important, like the the consumer that. Yeah died and then they were like oh maybe this is something so maybe we'll start maybe seriously looking into it you know yep so it's just i hate i hate that this world that we live in requires horrible things to happen for change to happen yep yeah. it's like you can bring 
to the surface problems that are issues problems that are issues yeah no shit sammy <laughs> problems that are happening and like maybe even like give solutions and they're like Meh, i don't want change yep unless something horrible is happening we're not gonna fuck with it yeah everything we're making a lot of money so. yeah i hate it i hate it and i wish there was a way we could change that but alas we are two podcasters I don't know how much <laughs> voice we really have, and I don't even know the beginning of changing that, so... Because it's literally every company, every business, yep. everything. It's just a point of view. It's a mentality kind of thing that needs mm-hmm. to be changed, not so much rules. Yeah. Hopefully with mentality comes the rules and stuff, but... I feel like as a company, you should want to value the lives and the... Um, health and security of your employees over like how much money you're making but yep we're very inherently greedy and uh i think just like as a species and not just as i think america in general is yeah i agree (laughs) more so than other um companies companies jesus countries are but um i think as people we kind of are that way also so yeah but think of how different our world would be if it wasn't centered around how much money you make how nice would that be it'd be great (laughs) it'd be fucking great but also i don't know what kind of world that would look like i don't know what the currency would be if it's not money you know tattoos i don't know we're watching a lot of ink master lately (laughs) yeah so much so that it inspired my story (laughs) i'm so excited are you yeah Let's right. go. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Are we sure we're done talking about the radium girls? Uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Do you feel settled with it? I feel it's settled. It's hard to it feel just... settled. They all died, no, so. it, I feel... I'm, <laughs> my debate is just going to be back and forth about, like, why the fuck did this... Why did we let this happen? Monies. Yeah, I know. It's shitty. Yeah. But, um... For my portion of this, I'm going to be talking about Maud Wagner... She was born in Lyon County, Kansas, February 12th, 1877, um, as Maud Stevens. So that's her maiden name. Her parents were David Von Buren Stevens and Sarah Jane McGee. Uh, they were apparently a very poor family. And so as a teen, Maud felt that she had really no opportunities for a future, like the more wealthy members of her community. Um, so she ran away and traveled with local circus acts and sideshows, um, which I really enjoy because I think that's just kind of, isn't that just like a dream when you were a kid? I'm like, I'm going to run off and join the circus, you know? What, what's her last name? Wagner. Are you going to look up a picture of her? Yeah. She looks badass. Like, that's what I would want to look like one day. I know, right? She looks sick. Um, so uh, we'll put we'll post a picture of her in our Hell Instagram. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. She's fucking awesome. Um, so eventually she... So she was at first just traveling with the axe and stuff, so I guess she was like a roadie. Have you said who she is? Yeah, Maud Wagner. I'm not... I'm going to go into... Okay. I'm, I like the suspense, babe. I like the suspense. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm talking about the radium girls. Yeah, Let's go. Horror. I know. I don't know. I People probably hate that I have suspense, but I love it. Um, anyways, she was at first just a roadie, and so eventually she began working as a circus performer for various traveling circuses. So, fun fact, she worked with performers... Um, I'm just going to give it away because it's the rest of this isn't going to make any sense if I don't say what she is. She is <laughs> claimed to be America's first female tattoo artist. 
So let's go back to my fun fact. She worked at, <laughs> she worked with, for, <laughs> she worked with performers such as Nora Hildebrand, who was the Dada, Dada, what the is Dada. wrong with me? <laughs> with, <laughs> Who is the daughter of America's first tattoo artist, Martin Hildebrand. So I think that's very interesting that she worked with the daughter of the claimed first tattoo artist. Um, Maude also worked with Irene Woodward, who had immense popularity for her tattoo um, modifications. And in the early 1900s, Maude eventually became an acrobat, an aerialist, and a contortionist for St. Louis's World's Fair, which um, was part of the Louisiana, oh my gosh, the Louisiana Purchase Expedition, which was the probably one of the most popular traveling circuses where people from all around the world would travel to see, quote, the greatest show on earth, you know? Yes. Um, in 1904, this is where she met a man by the name of Gus Wagner. Um, so let's talk about him for a second. His full name, I got like three <laughs> variations. It's either August, Augustus, or Augusta. So, yeah. I'm just going to go by Gus. Um, he was born in Marietta, Ohio on June 16th of 1872. Um, unfortunately, he died of, in 1941 from being struck by lightning, which I thought Jesus. was pretty dope. Um, in the late 1800s, while still in his youth, um, Gus was a salesman and a laborer who would jump from cargo steamer to cargo steamer as a merchant of the sea. And that is when he would get tattooed from all different types of places and to learn the tools of the trade. So much so that in 1901, he self-proclaimed himself as the most artistically marked up America. Oh my gosh. The most artistically marked up man in America. And at the time he claimed he had 264 tattoos, which if you look up pictures of Gus, it doesn't really stand today because there's people that are literally covered from head to toe. He didn't have anything from his neck up. So I'm over here like, yeah, I got six. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> well, so badass, babe. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but he has also apparently tattooed several thousands of people. So he was a pretty big guy back in the day. Like, for such a small, in the 1800s, it's kind of crazy to be, like, tattooing thousands of people. Um, according to Gus, he claims he learned mainly how to tattoo from tribesmen in Java and Borneo, who showed him how to use um, traditional handmade ta tools. So, obviously, they didn't have machines really back then. Um, once back home, Gus then embarked on a career as a traveling tattooist, a tattooed man, and a circus performer, because back then, if you had tattoos, you were basically this crazy thing side performer that people just liked to gawk at. It was more of a um, gimmick than it was a collection, I guess, kind of a thing. So he did this, the traveling tattooist and all that stuff for 40 years. So he really made that his career there. So because of that, he was known as that tattooed globetrotter, was a well-known tattoo artist of the time and one of the last ones to only work by hand using stick and poke method. Wow. Yes. So that's enough about Gus. Let's go back to Maude. She, when she met him in 1904 at the circus, she was very interested in Gus's tattoos also very attracted to Gus. Um, so apparently after they met, Gus offered to teach Maude the art of tattooing in exchange for a date with her. Um, other sources said literally the opposite, that <laughs> Maude 
agreed to go on a date with him if he taught her how to tattoo. So either way, a date was involved and she got taught how to tattoo. Um, (laughs) Honestly, it makes more sense to me for Ma to approach him and be like, yo, I want to learn how to tattoo. And then he'd be like, "Mm, go on a date with me and maybe I'll show you. That does make more sense. That makes sense to me, but I don't know. So, sorry. So he taught her the method called... As I just talked about, it was stick and poke, but it was also called um, hand poked or hokey pokey, which I think is super fun. Hokey pokey. The hokey pokey method. I'm going to start saying that from now on. Can you do the hokey pokey method next time you want to tattoo me? If they know what it is, then they're They'll probably stare at me and be like, no, I'm using my machine. It's much faster. (laughs) Um, um, Just in case for people who don't know what the stick and poke method is, is that it's a single needle that's dipped into the ink and pushed into the skin by hand over and over to create a pattern. So there's no machine that's punching the needles in for, like, people sometimes literally, like, are using hammers to just, like, tap, Tippity tap, tap that it in. needle in. If you've seen Angelina Jolie's shoulder tattoo, I don't, I think it's in a not American English language. It's in something that I'm, Hebrew, maybe? Um, but hers is done by stick and poke method, which. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's the only thing I know. And so then Steve, <laughs> fun fact, that's not in my notes, Steve-O, and I think, um, gosh dang it, what is his name? I'm really testing my jackass slash wild boys knowledge here. Whoever Steve-O co-hosts that show with, they are going around the world and they actually go, I think, to the same shop that Angelina Jolie goes to, like in India or something like that. And they get the same exact tattoo that she got in stick and poke method. And the whole time it's on the wild boys or something like that. They are just in so much pain. It is so painful. Yeah. Oh. Anyways. I was going to say I would get one, but nope. Yeah, no, it's so painful. So painful. Um, but I do want to give a little pat on the back for Gus because, like, good for him for teaching her how to tattoo even though it's still is a male-dominated industry. Yeah. And, like, truly feminism at its finest in yeah. the late 1800s for him to be like, hey, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. If you want to do this, like, let's do this. You yeah. know what I mean? That's dope. Um, so... Also, because of this, I think this is just what happens when you have a tattoo artist as a significant God, other. That would be nice. um, Gus, yeah, could decorated. What? I said, like, could you learn? I would be so down. I'm just not an artist. Yeah. I can trace shit, so yeah, maybe I can. <laughs> <laughs> I can trace it. <laughs> not so much draw it up. If you come to me with your pre-planned piece of work that I can just scan and put onto yeah. your body, I think I can do it. Sick. You know. So, here we are. Anyways, Gus. Decorated Maud's body with his own art, so much so that she herself quickly became covered, like, up to her neck in black tattoo work. This art included a lot of common art for the time, such as butterflies, lions, snakes, trees, portraits, monkeys, women, patriotism. She even had her own name on her left arm. Um, A lot of it was just inspired by her times in the circus and her life in general. It was all very traditional-looking pieces of work, and it was, I believe, all black and gray. Um, These modifications added to her circus performance show um, as the tattooed woman, um, because, God forbid, a woman does whatever she wants with her body except for being a sideshow anyways so on the side then Maud would learn to tattoo from Gus and she began tattooing her fellow circus workers and then ended up picking up clients from the public to tattoo so she became quite popular with her 
styles and stuff. So I just want to do a quick fun fact that um, I know we've said a lot about like these first people of tattooing, but tattooing in the United States actually dates back all the way to the mid 19th century. Um, and it was 50 years later when Maude Wagner appeared on the tattoo scene as America's first female tattoo artist. But um, that doesn't include native cultures that have sure. been doing this way before right. America colonized it, stole it, whatever you want to call it, but um, such as Inuit tribes that lived in what is now Alaska and Canada have been tattooing, even female members have been tattooing since 1576. Holy shit. Yeah. So um, according to a recording by Sir Martin Frobisher, um, who was an English private- privateer, privateer, privateer sounds better. Not a pervert. You said that the first thing. I said privateer. He's a perverteer. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was. Okay, okay, okay. He's probably white, so... Go ahead. Anyways, he was an English privateer who was exploring the Arctic in search of the Northwest Passage. Um, so I wanted to throw that out there because I don't want to just, like, whitewash history because it's not completely true. Yeah. So as much as they claim that She's the first female tattoo artist. She's the first American. Okay. And as an American, I mean person who colonized and claimed to be American. Right. Yes. Um, also, while we're on this fun history lesson of tattooing, I also want to mention that there's a mummified princess who was found buried in Siberia. Cy- what is Siberia. wrong with me? Siberia. Siberia. Uh, Siberia? She was buried in Siberia. Um <laughs> And she may actually be the first confirmed tattooed woman, and that dates all the way back to the 5th century BC. So, like, this has been going on for a very, very long time. Like, the fact that we're just now getting tattoos allowed in fucking work is bullshit. Literally. In some places, it's, like, how their culture is. Like, they tattoo as, like, a rite of passage for um, growing up and, like, becoming a man and, like, whatever. I don't really know. I'm not a part of those cultures, but that's just what I've heard, so. I'm down this rabbit hole on Wikipedia on, like, extremely tattooed people in the 1900s. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, so, um, she... Stuck with the stick and poke method through her entire career of tattooing, even though more mo- the more modern tattoo machine was invented in 1891, which was almost just a little more than 10 years after she met Gus, Gus and started tattooing herself. Um, I mean, it became more common practices to have the tattoo gun because it sped up the tattooing and made it less painful. It was a lot more intricate. You could do a lot more with it, mm-hmm. but... Maybe I'll do a lot more with it, but I don't know. Totally I don't. Can. I'm not a tattoo artist. I really don't know. I showed you that picture, though. I'll talk about that in a second. Anyways, shortly after um, Maude learned how to tattoo, she got married to Gus, and they kept with the traveling shows and being traveling tattoo artists. They did this out of the lar- out of like outside of the large circus so they kind of basically left the circus and did more like county fairs amusement arcades and vaudeville homes mm-hmm. um vaudeville is basically an umbrella term which can mean several things such as a concert saloon american burlesque freak shows dime museums and minstrel shows and it's like charlie chaplin started in vaudeville oh did he yeah oh mm-hmm. look at that it's like pre-acting okay so it was like 
I don't know. Pre-talkies and pre-film entertainment. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Um, but real quick, I want to talk about minstrel shows. <laughs> Makes me really uncomfortable because I was, like, just di- diving into what, like, vaudeville was. And I was like, oh, what is this? What does this freak show mean? What does this dime museum mean? And then I looked into minstrel shows and I'm like... <gasps> Oh, no. (laughs) This is why I hate America. Um, So basically, they were just a racist comedic entertainment, and it made me super uncomfortable even looking at it. And the fact that we mm, would go and watch these things, it was awful. Anyways, I hate America. (laughs) Yep. It's awful. It's so awful. I can't believe we did that. But they (laughs) tattooed at places like that, apparently. So I guess it's just that and not to make this as an excuse, but that was the times and they needed money. So they probably like, there's a lot of people at these shows. So we'll try to get clientele. Yep. And I totally. hate that. I hate mm-hmm. it. But that's what happened. So according to heroinecollective.com, Gus and Maude were often credited with bringing tattoo industry inland from coastal towns and cities where the customs had originated. So they're kind of part of how tattooing is widely known and that shops are like basically a staple of every town. Otherwise, it was just basically along the coast where it was common because of, like, how Gus got started with, like, the trade, with, like, ships and stuff. Like, the sailors were big and, like, tattooing and stuff. So, that's – they're credited as to being those people. Um, So, then Gus and Maude had their first daughter named Sarah, who was born in 1908. Um, Sadly, after a month, Sarah had died. And Maude was clearly crushed. And so then two years later, um, in 1910, they had another daughter they named Lavetta Wagner, whom Maude was very overprotective with, especially given that she lost one child. I can't blame her. Um, I don't know how the child was lost, so I couldn't really find anything on that. I only found one source that said that she had a child that she lost. Otherwise, I only found information about Lavetta. So cool. it's kind of weird. Uh, I have so many sources for this episode that it's literally, like, almost a page long, but it's, I would, I told Macy this, that I would find all of the same information and there would be, like, one line of, like, new information that I'd be like, oh, cool, and I would add it to my notes. So it took me a long time to get such short amount of information, but anyways, um, Lavetta, who shared in, she shared her parents' interests with tattoos, so she started tattooing at the young age of nine, Whoa. which was 1919, um, and fun fact, Lavetta's last tattoo was in 1983, which was also stick and poke, and she did a rose on fellow tattoo artist Don Ed Hardy. Which, what? Yeah, I think we all recognize the name. Mr. Ed Hardy himself got a tattoo by the daughter of America's first female tattooist. So, and I've shown Macy that picture, and it's it doesn't look like it's a stick and poke. I don't know what I imagined when I first thought of stick and poke, but that's not what I pictured. It looks so good. It is such a good tattoo. What is her last name? Um, Wagner? Oh, no, no, no. Lavetta no. Wagner Davis. She married in her name's Davis. Okay. I'm looking her up now. Okay. Um, so, Lavetta is quoted about Maude refusing to let her get tattooed by Gus um, by the Dallas Morning News, and this was in 1993. Um, 
and she stated, although we all, or sh- sorry, she stated, quote, although we all knew how to tattoo, Papa taught me, taught her and me. Mama wouldn't let Papa tattoo me. I never understood why. She relented after he died and said I could get tattoos then, but I said if Papa couldn't tattoo couldn't do them like he had done hers, then nobody would. And that was the end of that. End of story. End quote. So she is one of the few tattoo artists to not have a single tattoo on her own body. Hmm. Which is why we watch, we're, like we said, we're currently watching Ink Master. And there was a season where, like, the judges were, like, railing on this one dude for not having any tattoos. Yeah. And he was, like, in the back of my my head, I'm just, like, thinking about Lovetta. Right. <laughs> I'm like, you don't have to be a good tattoo artist well, you don't have to have tattoos to be a good tattoo artist. But, right, right. Uh, whatever. So, Gus died in, like, 1941 um, from that lightning strike, and that would have made... Wild. I know. That would have made Lavetta 31 at the time of her father's death. So, it's weird that Maude held out for so long, in my opinion. And then it's also weird that Lavetta like, complied. Because yeah. my dad told me I couldn't get tattoos, and I turned 18, and I was like, well, I'm just going to get them places that you can't see. So right. good for them for, I guess, being honest. So Ma died January 30th, 1961 in Lawton, or Lawton, no, Lawton looks right, Oklahoma. She's reported to have tattooed basically up to the day she died. Um, she was, for many years, one of the few female tattoo artists in the United States. So, really quickly among her was um, Millie, or Mildred Hull, who eventually had her own tattoo parlor in the 1930s called the Tattoo Emporium, and that was in Bowery, New York. And it, she is referred to as a founding mother of modern tattooing. Yeah. And um, Jessie Knight, who is famed for being the first documented British female tattoo artist, who was inspired by her father, who was also a tattoo artist, and became one herself in 1921, where she tattooed with her father at his shop in Barry, South Wales. She is also known for her bright, colorful designs that she did freehand no stencils yeah so that's pretty dope in 1921 that she was doing that shit um she helped improve women's rights when it came to do what they want with their i'm talking about mod again she helped improve women's rights when it came to doing what they want with their bodies as well as showing them that the woman that the woman that women can be just as badass as men when it comes to not only being an artist but um walking along the tattoo yeah yeah and whatever what am i trying to say (laughs) like going through the painful part of being getting tattooed as men could so um according to inked magazine quote tattoos can be considered an emblem of feminism empowering women to accept and make their own decisions about their bodies end quote which i hope we will see for everything having to do with a woman's body and not just their skin and and appearance because you know there's a lot of things going on. I feel like, in general, with women, always we're always fighting for women's rights. Um, anyways, according to an Open Mind article, there's a growing number of population that is getting tattooed, and a lot of these are um, inked by women, which paved the way by Maud Wagner. Yeah. And according to them, there's also there was a 2012 Harris poll that found that 23% more females have tattoos compared to 19% of males. So it's kind of crazy to me that we were some of the ones that people didn't want us to get tattoos, and here we are getting tattoos. Right. More than anybody else. That's it. That's all I've got. It's a pretty short one. I love it. Yeah? Yeah. She's super badass. You need to go get a tattoo now. Yeah? Yeah. 
Just keep talking about tattoos. I know. It's because we're watching Inked. I know. I love it. I think that's so badass. We I keep, keep looking at pictures of her and all of them, and oh my gosh. I know. Maude looks so dope. Like, Did you see the color transformation of her tattoos? Are they in color? Yeah. I am, I thought that... F- I must have like found a source that said they were just black. So, I don't know. Either way, it's pretty dope. Badass. So yeah. cool. Literally, she looks so sick. Love it. Well, cool. Yeah. I love it. Um, That's all we got. Do you have anything else? Yeah, let's talk about uh, Apple Podcasts. That's, yeah. That is the one place that you can give us a review, and I think that it'd be pretty dope if you give us five stars, but if you don't, that's totally fine. You have your own opinion. Yeah. I understand. Not everyone's going to like what we talk about. Sure. We literally are just picking out what we like for these episodes. Because, so, yeah. Because we really... It's our podcast. It's our podcast. And then <laughs> um, if you want to have us cover something that you're interested in, it's like, up. send us a message. Like, I've gotten a couple of um, suggestions from, uh, like, family and friends and stuff like that. So we'll end up covering those eventually. Totally. But, um, you know, I really want to hear from people that don't know us. Because I feel like they are picking things that we're already interested in and already, like, thinking about. Yeah. So it's, like, I want to hear what really our fan that sounds weird, what our listeners are really yeah. interested in, too. Yeah. So hit us up. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think, what we can improve on. We're New always ideas. looking for some constructive criticism, yeah. too, you know. We would like for everybody in the world to be nice, but I understand it's the in- internet. Not everyone's going to be yeah. nice. Yeah. I just might cry a little bit, so... I'll read them. I won't cry too much. I was like, I look at that shit all the time. There's no way you're going to be able to hide it from me. (laughs) Anyways. Yeah. That's all I've got for that. And then Patreon. Again, that's another way that you can have your voice heard about what you want us to do. Specifically, if you join the second tier, you literally get your own personal episode. Like, you get to choose. Well, depending on how many people are in the tier, you get to vote on what you want what you want us to record and we record that once a month for you yep so that's a way to just make it super special yep that's it cool yeah find us on gmail at who knew podcast 666 at gmail.com or you can find us on instagram at who knew podcast and that's it yep cool say bye bear bye she did not no she's sleeping